Alright guys, hey, this is Craig Hostetler and welcome to the Black Sheep Experience. This is episode number 21, episode 21. Uh, Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I have a great uh, episode today as I'm hanging out with a guy by the name of Brandon Carlton. Brandon is a cool dude and uh, we have a great conversation and so I'm really happy, excited to share that with you. Um, I wanted to say, man, the, the podcast has experienced a, a bit of a small explosion, you know. Um, we've got guests just lined up, you know, lined up literally and... Um, yeah, you know, this has been a real honor. I, I really love uh, sharing this path with you guys. You know, as my faith, as my spirituality has evolved, it's been it's been so great to share that evolution with so many of you, and and to watch and hear about the evolving of your own spiritual path as well. It's been man, it's just really been. Um, it's just been wonderful, and so thank you so much for those of you that listen, uh, for those of you that follow on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Man, I appreciate it so much, and I'm looking forward to, um, well, you know, to the continued blossoming, I guess, of, of my own faith, my own spiritual path, and where this podcast um, I guess is going to take you and I as we kind of um, traverse this course together. So anyway, man, thank you guys so much. Uh, I, I just love you guys. Now, while I'm on that, let me say this. Man, continue to interact with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and continue to use those platforms to help spread the word about the Black Sheep Experience. It is an incredible uh, blessing and assistance um, to the podcast when you uh, when you share with your um, you know with the people that follow you uh, and that connect with you on social media. Okay, without any further ado, let's head into uh, the podcast today with Brandon Carlton, and he wrote the book Meaningful Again: How One Pastor Questioned Everything and Found Comfort. In Uncertainty, which I absolutely love. He lives in Rock Island, Illinois, um, and he's the pastor of Connection Quad City. Very cool dude. I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation that Brandon and I have together. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, this is Craig uh, Hostetler, and welcome to the Black Sheep Experience. Um, today, I have with me uh, Brandon Carlton. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Hey Craig, thanks so much for having me on. Oh uh, no, man, uh, I'm uh, yeah, I'm glad to have you with me. So, a couple of things, man. I know you pastor um, in Northern Illinois. Is it, is it Rockford? Is that right? Uh, no, it's actually Rock Island. So we're about two hours south of uh, Rockford. Okay, but it's still cold, right? That's, that's <laughs> yes, we, yeah. 
we we set two records this winter. One was for the total amount of snowfall uh, in January, and then we also that's an all time record. And then also the coldest recorded temperature in the history of Rock Island this year, which was negative. The air temperature was negative, uh, like thirty three, I think. Wow. And then with, with the wind chill, it was negative sixty or something like that. Yeah. That's horrible, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been a rough winter, that's for sure. Yeah, that's kind of how I see the world, uh, warm and cold, and uh, which, uh, yeah, God, I hate I hate winter, and this has been a tough one, man. Yeah, it has. So also, um, I have your book here, which is great, dude. I, um, I've been reading it and uh, finished it last night, Meaningful Again, How One Pastor Questioned Everything and found comfort in uncertainty. And and what what I like about this book is, um, you know, whenever we first started talking, I thought, okay, well, you know, here's a, here's another book about deconstruction. But um, what I really liked about it, man, is is you tackle. Uh, well, first of all, it's very personal. You know, it talks about your story. But I, I liked how you tackled some some of the more interesting uh, aspects. Um, you know, and, and, um, you talk about, well, one of the things that, that really struck me is, um, and by the way, everybody, I'll, I'll talk about how to get the book at the end of the podcast and I'll have links in the, um, in the show notes as well. But one of the things you talked about, which is really deep, I guess, uh, in my heart is, um, the passion that Orthodox has for certainty and, um, let's start yeah. with let's start with that and, and and give me your your perspective on that yeah so the um in general the book was kind of this it was my personal deconstruction but really my deconstruction originally started um while in a place where i was i was questioning the current church model i was looking at uh taught what i was considering as toxic behaviors within the church model and i was trying to figure out how to uh, make church a healthier place and so what ended up happening was uh what a lot of what happens in church uh, your liturgy and your rituals they're uh held up by you know these your theology and your beliefs and so as i started questioning the rituals and the liturgy i you know naturally in turn started questioning you know your beliefs and your theology and i saw that um a lot of what happens on a sunday morning is driven is all driven and driving towards this one purpose which is to um you know comfort everybody and tell everybody that hey we got we got it all figured out you can look to your leadership we know the answers i know life's confusing i know life's hard uh but we've We've read every Josh McDowell book, and we've read every apologetic book, and we have all the answers. Uh, and anything that you're you have questions about or have doubts about, you know, I'm sure you know the phrase "God is bigger than your doubts or bigger than your questions." You know, so they use language like that, and um, and then the, I think the liturgy itself is structured in a way to um, kind of like you know prop up this idea of certainty, uh, and really, it's uh, I, th- I think it's a it's a thing that our culture in general is looking for, uh, not just uh, our religious cultures. Uh, and so I, I think it's just another avenue that people can find. Uh, I think people are kind of addicted to certainty. Uh, they're not comfortable with the unknown. 
Uh, so yeah, that's kind of been, uh, you know, and then we looked at our own liturgy and try to figure out how we can build in room for doubt and room for questions, uh, and not just be the, the person up at the front of the church with all the answers, pretending like we have, uh, have it all together. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, there was a quote uh, that struck me from the book that says, Deep down, I believe most of us are not sure what we believe, no matter how hard we try to convince ourselves and those around us otherwise, and that is okay. You know, um, I think one of the... <clears throat> there's a couple of things for me. I, I pastored for quite some time, and um, there were a couple of things about certainty that, that bothered me, and one of them was... Um, the statement's absolutely true. Everybody, no matter how um, how hard they try to convey the idea that they've got all the answers, deep down, none of us have all the answers, and we know we don't have all the answers. And so, right. yeah, I don't know where that idea comes from that we have to, and I think probably, um, and I have my own, I guess I have my own philosophy about this but it almost sure. feels like an echo from you know the inquisition era where okay um beliefs have to be absolute and if they're not absolute then somehow that's a lack of faith which is you know kind of ridiculous but i'm right. sure you noticed you know being a pastor that um you are expected and, and I'd like to know how you transitioned from this because I um, I struggled with this for a, a while and I guess I, I, I'm just now getting to the place of accepting my uncertainty. But as a pastor, you and I were expected to have the answers, all the answers, and in the form of absolutes. So how did you yeah. deal with going from an you know, an absolutist, for for lack of a better word, to to this place where you're at now, where uncertainty is actually a more spiritual approach to God. Yeah, I you know I, um, I'm really lucky that I have. Uh, it's a small congregation, but I'm really lucky that the group of people that come uh, are okay with that. And actually, in the last year or two, I, I've probably hedged my bets a little bit more than they even wanted me to i kind of you know still walk the fine line of not saying anything too heretical on a sunday morning uh and as over the last year we you know we'll have full church discussions and they will say you know like we, we are we're okay with this like let's embrace this uncertainty more let's like stop pretending like we are a normal church when we're not uh and so they've actually uh, really supported me in this process of deconstruction as they've gone through their own deconstruction. So I definitely find myself, um, you know, I consider myself very lucky to have a group of people like that. And to tell you a, a story, not that long ago, uh, maybe a month ago, we had somebody, uh, it was a young lady, she, she came for the first time, I, I don't know how she had heard of us, um, and she, she, seemed somewhat interested throughout our, our service, but at the end, um, or, you know, when we were done, we're cleaning up, I was talking to her, and she said, you know, I'm really just looking for someone to tell me what to believe, What or I'm looking for someone to tell me what the right thing to believe is. I just want to know, like, what's the right thing to believe? And then I, and I told her, I was like, well, to be honest, you're in the, you're in the wrong building right now. Um, like I will never tell you what the right thing is to believe is because I'm not sure what the right thing to believe is and that is the meaning of the purpose of our gathering as I see it right now 
uh, on a Sunday morning is for us to come together as a group and help kind of figure out, like, go through this process together of, like, what, you know, what are we, what questions do we have? Is it really, even asking the question, what's the purpose, what's the value of having a firm set of beliefs and in, in getting all your answer, all your questions answered? Like, is there even really a value there? Do you see your life, do you see yourself loving your neighbor better when you have all the answers? Or do you see yourself loving your, your neighbor better when you're okay not having all the answers? So these are like those are the kind of questions that as a group um, we are discussing and having dialogue around. And, um, yeah, like I said, I, I'm very lucky to have a group of people who have uh, also been... Well, so we have three atheists that attend every Sunday. We have a couple agnostics. We have uh, one person who would probably identify as Buddhist. Um, so it's very... Um, we, and we still take communion where we still talk about Jesus. But, um, but yeah, it's, there's a really great group of people that I feel like in, in other churches, I probably wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing so transparently. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's obviously a very unique congregation. Um, because you're right, you know, the, there's not a lot of people that are <clears throat> open to, um, to, to, to unknowing you know it, it's funny because what when i was pastoring towards the i don't know probably the last year or two and and um it, it, it certainly was not without uh controversy and, and that type of thing but on on wednesday night i started having these conversations uh that were you know community oriented and um i didn't provide answers I didn't, I didn't say, okay, the Bible says A, B, C, and D, and so, you know, let me lead the conversation um, in my direction, you know. I, I yeah. just, we just had these open conversations, and so one night we're talking about, of course, you know, the rapture of the church, and, uh, and I'm, I'm just not giving any answers because, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't really have them. And uh, finally, <laughs> this lady, great lady, but it, she says... Uh, so 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 what do i believe and i'm like i have no idea what you believe that's the point you know you got to figure it out for yourself and and she kept just pressing the issue well, well so what do we believe then it's like you you know we don't believe anything you know and i think that people and again i i also i i think it's a I think it's a failure on part of uh christianity and probably for the last couple hundred years but yeah. we have been telling people, you, you know, your beliefs have to be absolute. They have to be in line. And, I mean, geez, dude, you, you know, if you've been in church very long, which you have, I mean, every church has their, you know, doctrinal statement, and here it is, and here's what we believe, and this is the truth. And that's sort of, it's a yeah. huge disservice, man. Yeah, yeah. So the, the current model, this is why I believe uh, an atheist can come on a Sunday morning to our gathering and feel comfortable. Um, I feel like the at large in Western um, evangelical churches, the model is somebody up front saying, "I'm right. I've got it figured out." And now, if you don't, if you don't know what you believe, or if you you do know what you believe, and it's something that uh, goes against what I believe, well, I'm going to take this time during the sermon to convince you that what I believe is the right way to believe. I'm going to give you the evidence. I'm going to give you all the support. I'm going to make this argument that this is the right way to believe. So if I get up front and I say, hey, um, I don't really know what I believe about you know the theological idea X, Y, or Z, um, some days, and this is, I think, 
probably more transparent than most pastors would be willing to, to, to be, but I'll even, some, I mean, honestly, some days I believe in God, some days I don't. Some days, it's like, it's really clear to me that there is this divine presence in the world, and there's other days where I don't feel that, or, or it seems like there's no way that could be true, and so I will say that up front, and because it's not, hey, I'm right, let me convince you that I'm right, um, an atheist who doesn't believe in God can still feel comfortable at a church, can still hear the stories of Jesus, because they're not, it's not a game of, hey, let me convince you, let me beat you over the head with this. It's a very clear, transparent culture of, hey, we both, we're all in this together, let's, you know, let's just have community around you know these type of discussions yeah you know i think that that's a i I think that that's actually really healthy and um one of the things i've been diving into and it's really a shame um but you know i i'm a protestant so let me blame everything on the catholics for a moment (laughs) but (laughs) you had all these guys um mostly um of the uh, you know the eastern orthodox venue but but even before all that, you had, um, and, and you may recognize some of the names and some of them you may not, but like um, Pseudo Dionysus and Orion and um, yeah. yeah, all these guys who, well, you know, Pseudo Dionysus, uh, he, um, I mean, his entire premise of God was, I don't know who God is, you know, I, I know he exists, but I have no idea who he is, and my connection to him is is through the avenue of uncertainty and and he's got a ton of writings and uh i've talked about it on this podcast before but uh yeah he's a he's an awesome guy to to to, to google and then orion dude this guy at one time was uh he was called the most prominent and powerful teacher um post apostolic right so so Jesus, the apostles, and then Orion, you know, and this guy, yeah. man, he believed in uh, uh, reincarnation. He w- he was uh, basically a, a universalist, uh, you know, believed in the preexistence of souls, and he had all these writings that the you know the during the Dark Ages they just completely buried them and destroyed them. But it's cool because Christianity has this incredible heritage of diversity. Yeah, and how in the world we got to this place of we, everybody believes the same thing, and we always have. I mean, dude, it is. Uh, I, I I I try not to. I don't know. It's just like the ultimate bullshit. You know what right. I mean? Well, yeah, you touched on a couple of really good things there. So first of all, when I started deconstructing, that was time and time again. I was so surprised. I would have this idea. Um, like a, you know, a quote unquote heretical idea and I'd be looking over my shoulder waiting to be struck by a bolt of lightning. Uh, and then I would go read, yeah, something from whatever, 500 uh, AD or whatever. And I, and it would be saying the exact same thing. And I'm like, oh, I thought this was like this crazy heretical idea, but this like father of the faith or this like, you know, someone who is quoted in church all the time, they just don't quote these you know this certain set of of uh text or whatever like that i was surprised by how often i would run across an idea that i thought was heretical and find out that it's actually not there's actually a large group uh, if not today at one point in time a large group of people who believe this to be true um and then yeah i think that um historically speaking you know i, I feel like what um martin luther accomplished was really um 
decentralizing power and decentralizing the, the, the you know the decision makers and who said you know this is what the tech says so it's interesting that we've come so far from that um, experience of like hey everybody should now be able to read this text and decide for themselves what they believe uh, but I think like in the early 1900s um, my theory is at least that like once uh, scientific like text really started to make its way into like the mainstream culture and it wasn't just um, you know academic people reading it but it, you know science and like at the, at the time of, of Darwin like all all that development around science that felt like it was certain that felt like there was certainty there so i think that the church like around the you know early 1900s really started to like they had to match that uh and compete with science and say okay you, you can prove your uh, you have evidence to prove your beliefs well we need to find evidence to prove our beliefs um i think that like you know pissing match for lack of a better word really i think it contributed a lot to uh where we at we're at today yeah, actually, that's um, that's pretty interesting. I, I hadn't made that connection, but I, I do think you're right about that. I, I, I um, and you talk about the um, how boring uh, the uh, apologetics conversation is, which I thought was cool. Um, I had that uh, highlighted somewhere in here, but yeah, I I, I totally agree because uh, it is boring. Uh, you know, it, it's and. Uh, Maybe somebody like Rob Bell, I think, kind of opened that up for me a little bit whenever people talk about, uh, is the Bible, you know, inerrant? And uh, and he talks about how those, you know, it doesn't really fit into that category. If, if that's where you're yeah. at, you know, if, that, if that's what your focus is, then uh, you, you've kind of missed the purpose of, of this book. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes I, I think... Uh, you know, I think back on all the different conversations that I've had that were more or less a waste of time. Just me and someone else arguing back and forth about um, was this event literal or historical in the Bible? And like, this is the right belief. Uh, and it's so much. There's so much time I could have. It could have been better spent doing other things. Um, you know, it's a weird way to spend your time, in my opinion. And I think that. There, I don't. I don't want to say that there's no value to having a theological discussion, and there's no value to um, figuring out what you believe, because um, I do think that our theology a lot of times does um, inform our actions. Uh, but like at some point, you're really just beating a dead horse, and you're talking about the same issues for hours and hours on end. Um, and the the other reason, one of the main reasons I talked about it was because in the book was because we're trying to make a. a community that's open and that doesn't feel like you know we're trying to convince everybody to believe one set of of beliefs so in order to have um have a community that feels safe you can't really have those discussions like that's a like you're you're pigeonholing it's the same thing i don't know if you've ever I, I used to do this and now i feel like an idiot looking back but i would go talk to my friend who was an atheist 10 years ago and I would try to convince him and I would defend my points by using the Bible and he would say I don't believe in the Bible you can't use that text to like convince me that you know that you're right um, and it's kind of the same thing it's like okay why why limit ourselves to um, one like you were saying about Rob Bell like why limit ourselves 
to one interpretation of it? Why not accept multiple uh, interpretations of it that mean different things to, to different people? Um, and also, I, I write um, in the book about you know there, there's you know you could argue if the resurrection was literal or historical, uh, and that's like a very narrow, a, a small group of people are going to find that question interesting. However, if you reframe that question and you don't like try to debate if it's historical or literal or figurative, instead, if you ask, where do you see death in your life and where do you see a new beginning in your life? Well, now that's a question that everybody can answer, that everybody can find meaning in um, and that can need to open up a broader conversation. Um, and we're still technically talking, in my opinion, about the resurrection. Uh, but, but yeah, so that's kind of, we, we've been trying to find better questions to ask than was is it true or is it false you know there's not that that's like you know that doesn't go very far yeah no dude i um yeah so page 59 i guess was the one that that struck me and it said uh you, you said uh or you wrote i find most apologetic uh discussions to be boring because they tend to revolve around boring questions and um the reason that that struck me is because Several things. Um, first of all, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I believe a lot of things about the Bible are absolutely literal. <clears throat> and yeah. um, I, I, I'm totally in favor of that. And, and uh, yeah, th- there's a lot of things I do believe that, that, some, of the, that some of our contemporaries uh, that, are, that are a lot more popular than me, <laughs> but uh, they... Uh, you know, they don't, but I, I believe that, that a lot of those things are literal, but just um, forcing everyone to think that it's true, does you know, it doesn't affect the community, it doesn't help anybody, and for most people, you're right, it's a boring conversation. Well, you know, what I found interesting is, I lately I've been reading a lot of esoteric uh, Christian uh, authors um, from, from past centuries, and it's it's funny how they try to take so many, or it's interesting, I guess, how they try to take so many of those events in the Bible and make them applicable to their life, to what's going on on the yeah. inside of them, you know, to bring about real change and happiness in their life. And I just want it, it's sad to me that in Western Christianity, and I hate to to overuse that term. What we've done with the scripture, what we've done with Jesus, what we've done with the moral fiber that you find in in the Bible, is we have turned it into a litmus test of whether or not you're a decent human being. And that's not the intention. That's not what these words are about. And I find that incredibly, I find it alienating. I find it frustrating. And um, it's almost like crucifying, and this is a, a bit of an overstatement probably, but it's almost like crucifying Christ all over again, except worse, because you're ruining him for generations to come. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that um, that you, you use the word alienating, and I think that's a big part of it. I think um, you know we're as humans, we're tribal, but this, um, you know, that I thought about this with something else you said earlier too. Uh, you know, if we get when I was growing up, it was definitely, the picture was painted that there's only one right way to believe. And if you don't believe that, well, then you're not going to belong. You're not a part of our tribe. Um, you are, you know, getting, 
excommunicated, basically. Yeah. And then and then I find out that there's over three thousand denominations, Christian denominations. And it's like, wait a second, there's three thousand different ways to like interpret this, and like you know, they there have been that many disagreements over it. Yet, you know, I I can't belong because I don't believe in you know this thing or that thing. Um, and so it is. It's very alienating, I think. And I think there the, the cynic in me. Uh, would say that that's there's a lot of that tribalism driving um, those types of conversations. Uh, I think of a story when I, I was talking to someone um, about what we do at our church, and you know we do so many things in the community. Um, we, you know we 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 do a free laundry night once a month where people come and do the laundry for free. We uh, we do three fundraisers a year for other nonprofits. Like we help run those not. Uh, fundraisers we do once a quarter we skip church and we go and we serve like at a soup kitchen like we do so much in the community i'm talking to someone about this and they kind of stop me and they say yeah but you guys do you still believe in jesus and i and i'm like okay what did you miss about like like we are doing we are being in my opinion we are being jesus to our community we are doing all like we i it should be it should be clear to you that we believe in jesus like i shouldn't have to get up front and say hey we believe in jesus you should be able to tell that i believe in jesus by you know the way that we operate um but that all that didn't matter it just mattered do you hold the right set of beliefs and if you don't well then like i'm not going you know we're not part of the same tribe and that's all that that person in my opinion that's all that really mattered to them was drawing that very clear line of are you in my tribe or are you out of my tribe yeah no dude i had a conversation with somebody and and uh i won't bring uh i guess i won't bring the whole the content of it but we're talking about different segments of our society and he kept coming back to the thing of yeah but you still think they're going to hell right you still think they're going to and it's like dude what is your fixation with throwing people in hell right. you know it's just like yeah. so sadistic man whether you like them whether you dislike them whether you agree or disagree your your main impetus is yeah but they're going to fry right i mean that that's the you know it, that's what to him, that is what uh, created a bond between us, and that—that's that, not where I want my bond to be, man. Who's, yeah. You know who's in and who's out, and I—I I don't know. I—I I, I can't stand anybody on TBN or or any of those television preachers. I—they I, absolutely—I just can't stand them. Most of us just put it that right. way. So, but but I did hear TD Jake say something. Um, that I that I enjoyed. He was being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, and she was talking about the gay community. And she's like, she kept she kept wanting him to say they weren't welcome in his church, you know. And yeah. he finally said, "Look, I don't want to be known for what I'm against. I want to be known for what I'm for." And that's yeah. what you guys are kind of doing. It's like, look, you guys, it, the whole world, dude. Ah, uh, the, the whole world already knows basically the premise the moral fiber of the christian conversation right what we're missing is exactly what you're talking about making positive contributions dude there is nothing more spiritual at times than just picking the trash up around your neighborhood that that could be a powerful move of god right there you know what i'm saying yes yeah no definitely and i i mentioned missional sundays that we do, and one of those, we, that's exactly what we did. We went to a, uh, 
nearby housing project and we just picked up trash on the um sometimes when we do it you know we we work with nonprofits, and other times we're like hey we can just go into this neighborhood and just clean it you know pick up litter off the streets we don't need to have it be like an official affiliation with the nonprofit. um yeah and so i 100 percent agree i think that there's something um very spiritual about um yeah just going in going around and picking up trash i do think that there's uh, there's just this level of fear that I think I don't know where the the what the root cause of it is. I don't know if it's been indoctrinated in us, but there is just this root fear, and this is where I'm a little uh, I give people a little bit of you know grace, so to speak. Uh, they have this fear of if if you know they, I was thinking of your friend saying, oh, are they going to they're going to hell, right? It's because if that if they aren't going to hell. If that is true, then their whole world is going to be flipped upside down. Mm-hmm. There, you know, it's kind of this idea of like, oh, if that other person who I've always thought is wrong, if they turn out to be right, well, then am I wrong? Have yeah. I been wrong this whole time? That is a very daunting um, thought to have, and which is why I always respect anybody who's gone through even the smallest amount of deconstruction, is because it really, it's not just this little belief; it throws your entire paradigm your entire understanding of the world it can throw it you know for a loop can just completely destroy it so um yeah there's that fear i don't know where that fear comes from of like they everybody else around me has to be wrong in order to so i can like affirm that i am right well i think i think a lot of it is because uh we don't believe what we what we believe you you know what i mean yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean our our belief system is um it is a, uh, you know, it, it's a fragile thing, and we want it to be solidified, and we want people around us to solidify that. When in reality, you know, it's like you said earlier. You know, some days I, I still just think, well, you know, is there even a God? And to some people, that's like, oh well, that, then then you're not a believer. No, I I am, but today yeah. I, I'm struggling, and, and that's okay. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, they're. Um... I don't know if you know of the once controversial Christian artist named uh, David Bazan. The yeah. band that he was in was Pedro the Lion. Um, he used to have, a, or he still does, I assume, have a tattoo on his arm that says, Jesus Christ is my effing savior. Um, and But he also had this song. It's so when I was, it was like a hit. When I was in uh, junior high and high school, his music was, you know, deemed off limits i don't know if you guys ever did this uh but we would do there'd be times it wasn't a yearly thing but it was like we're gonna get together and we're gonna burn our like non-christian albums and and tapes and cds do you know what i'm talking about uh sadly yeah dude i i (laughs) did (laughs) i did that once yeah yeah um yeah, and so, or and, you know, when, when we got older, it was you had to we would purge our, our iTunes <laughs> library. Um, but so he has the song though that I really love. Now, now I can't remember the name of it, but I remember the lyric. It says, um, "Some days I, I I don't feel you, and I still have never seen you." Uh, and I love that idea of that like there still is no like hard evidence. You know, there's no way to definitively prove that God exists. Um, and saying there's some days that I don't feel you at all, 
means that there are some days that I I do I do feel God, but it's really this. It paints this picture of uh, even despite those two things, despite the fact that there's some days I don't feel you at all, and despite despite the fact that I've never seen you, I'm still committed to this idea. So committed to that to me is what faith is. Is like I'm going to uh, continue to show up and continue to um, try whatever to, to. I'm going to continue to wrestle. I'm going to continue to try to figure this out um, with the idea in mind that I might not ever figure it out, and that maybe wrestling just as that's the whole point <clears throat> is to wrestle, not not to win and not to end the fight, but just to continue to wrestle. Yeah, I, I I do think that there's you know, and <clears throat> I think a lot of a lot of people's faith and belief system has been destroyed by the idea of absolutes and uh, by the idea that our beliefs have to be, <clears throat> I guess, rock solid and unshakable. When in reality, it really is a journey. And you know, a lot of a lot of early century um, believers. A lot of their writings are pretty much, you know, they're about that. They're they're about going through the process of, you know, building up and tearing down, and building up and tearing down, and finding God in odd and and uh, precarious places, and um, you know, yeah, yeah, moving moving him out of some of the. So I I think that when the God conversation or journey or whatever it is that we want to call it. When it becomes more of an up and down situation, the uh, the relationship is actually stronger than when you have a prescribed set of you know doctrines. Because when those doctrines don't work out, just like you said earlier, and, and I've got a really good friend of mine right now that's going through the through the process, and man, the deconstruction yeah. process is miserable. But he's like, I've always been taught that God's a healer. But I have a yeah. friend of mine that, that didn't get healed, so now I don't know what I think about God. And it's like, well, the problem might not be with God. It might be with, you know, you had some right. crappy beliefs. Yep. Yeah, it's a struggle, yeah. dude. Yeah, that, I have a handful of stories like that, too, where um, actually I actually had a, a really close friend of mine um, have an abortion, and she's is still the... Um, I mean, one of the most, like, life-giving, life-giving, like, beautiful souls I've ever met in my life. And uh, that really threw me for a loop. Uh, that made me question a lot of things. And then um, I had uh, someone, I think I read about in the book, actually, we had a woman come to our church who, uh, she, her son was born with uh, a terminal disease, I can't remember which one it was, and uh, she was told, you know, you need to you know, we'll, we'll, you need to pray, you need to volunteer, you need to serve, you need to be at the church as much as possible and like do all this work and God will heal your son. Well, it was maybe like, I think he died maybe around age like 18 or 19. So she gave 18 years of her life to this idea and this promise that if she keeps fulfilling these religious duties that God will eventually heal her son. Uh, and then when he passed away, of course, it was, you know, it was life-altering it was uh life-shattering and yeah there are just so many unhealthy beliefs out there i think rob bell um i've heard him say it before like when people say they don't believe in god he'll say yeah i don't believe in that god either um yeah and that, that's exactly where i'm at right now I was like 
if you line up 100 people, probably 99 of those people, I don't believe in the same God that they believe in. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't believe in God. Yeah, um, one of the great, I think it may have been in Love Wins, I can't remember, but, but he said some gods um, are worth killing, I think was the the way he worded it and i and i love that so yeah page 30 of your book um talks about this woman's death and the pastor responded by saying um you must not have been praying hard enough uh which is cool because i highlighted that i thought that was i thought that was interesting because yeah. I've, I've been in those settings where um so so i came from a pentecostal background and um so within that context there's some cool things because it's um there's definitely an emphasis on spiritual i think connection the problem is it's associated with so many rigid doctrines and when those doctrines don't work well you know it can't be god's fault so and it can't be the theology's fault so then you got to somehow uh, turn that around and make it the person's fault. So it's either lack of faith, you weren't praying hard enough, you should have fasted, you should have this, you should have that. And deep down, what's happening is, first of all, you're you're placing guilt on a, on a person. Yes. Um, who's already suffering, and and you're not dealing with what's really going on with them, which is um, what they're really thinking and what they're really feeling is God sucks. Right. And, and and that's a shame because, you know, God God doesn't suck and uh you know, he's he's uh instead of allowing God to do what he'd like to do, which is begin the healing process, because the reality is, and if anybody's out there um struggling with this right now, we're all gonna die. And um you know, some of us are gonna live a lot longer than others and some some people are gonna die horrific deaths. And uh, some by the hands of of uh, wicked people, some by the hands of wicked diseases, and um, I don't have an answer for why those things happen. Um, but I don't think it's it's God's fault, and I don't think it's um, you know the victim's fault. I think yeah. life just sometimes takes those weird turns and twists, and and uh, again, I don't have the answer for that, and I really don't think I'm ever going to have the answer for that. But I know none of those answers are found in rigid doctrines. And a lot, of, a lot of times, man, those doctrines, they're incredibly, they're not affirming in any way. They're incredibly destructive. They're manipulative. And, and you talk in your book about um, how church is man- manipulative. And in fact, I'm going to rat you out here, man. You talked about as a pastor, you used the art of manipulation for a little while. Yeah, it was a part of my training. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that is, and, and I, I think there are uh, churches out there, pastors out there who don't um, dabble in manipulation. But I think there's a large, uh, a larger percentage that will, that anyone would like to admit. Um, and it's a very subtle. Uh, here's the thing. So, like, whenever I talk about this, I give an example because I, I believe that all people at one point in another life have manipulated somebody. I think we manipulate people more often than we think. So yeah, a real kind of like innocuous example would be uh, when you, I don't know, maybe if you've never done this, but I have, if I'm uh, meeting up with a friend and I say, hey, I'm five minutes away, but I'm actually 15 minutes away. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm the worst. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, that is... Um, 
that's manipulation. You're like trying to soften the blow. You don't want them to be mad at you. You're trying to kind of twist the facts just a little bit in order to save face. Um, it's like, again, it's a very like simple, small, like no one's going to be super mad at you if you do that. But there are so many little things like that built into our vocabulary uh, and the way that we are, uh, at least the way that I was trained to be a pastor, that seems very, um, it, it doesn't seem on the surface like it, it has, you know, evil intentions or anything like that. But really at the core of it, it's a manipulative behavior. So even like the, the vocabulary that, um, that I hear a lot in, you know, in different churches that I've been to, if you miss a Sunday, you come back and someone will say, Hey, where were you last week? Yeah, or I missed you last Sunday. <laughs> or I missed you last Sunday. And it sounds like it could definitely be coming from a place of like, Hey, I genuinely did miss you. It's nice to see you. But, I think there is something else. On, so the question specifically, where were you last week? The question I, often being asked really is, what did you have in your life that was more important than being here? Mm-hmm. What's what's going on with your priorities right now? Like, what? Well, why did you have to be somewhere else? Like, we need to suss out. And then if it's like, oh, you know, my grandma was sick, it's like it's kind of like a. Oh, okay, that's that's fine. But if someone else, uh, you know, if another answer is, "Hey, I just wanted to sleep in," it's like, "Oh, well, now we got an issue. Like, you're not really taking your faith serious here." Um, it's the same thing with um, we we do a lot of uh, shooting on each other is the phrase I like. So, um, or we use if you you know if you really want to grow in your faith or if you really want to uh get closer to god we use that kind of stuff if you really want to if you really want to be take your faith seriously then you'll be here at this event or you'll 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 bump up your giving from 10 percent to 12 percent uh if you really want to prove to god you that, that you love him we'll use that kind of language um which i think is yeah just very manipulative yeah man i first of all dude i uh i i totally get the 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 uh first example i'm i'm bad at that my mom who is just the greatest human being in the world she's terrible at that and and if she's coming over to the house or i'm supposed to meet her somewhere uh, i'll call and i'll be like okay mom where yet and she'll say oh i'm here and then i'll say okay so where are you really <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no, totally you, you. You learn with your friends who say, I'll be there, uh, I just leave in my house means they're going to, you know, they're going to leave in 15 minutes, um, <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's fine. But yeah, I, I feel like when you, when friend of friend, it's one thing, and, but when you're like the spiritual leader of this community and you're, you're really holding over people's heads, the approval, your approval, because people look for the pastor's approval, which is super unhealthy in my opinion. Yeah, but also, ultimately, they look for God's approval, and they think that you're the one that gets to kind of um, choose when God approves and when He doesn't approve. They're looking to you um, for that um, to gauge what you know is God mad at me or not. Well, the manipulation is very subtle, and I, you know, one of the things that we were taught, man, and I mean, literally taught, is uh, get people involved. Get them doing yep. something. Get them, you know, teaching a Sunday school or or helping with this or helping with that. Because then, and you know, it's not. It's one thing to say, you know, we, we need to try to get someone in. I don't know, not involved, but I guess uh, in, integrated somehow, so that they begin to develop relationships. But what we were doing and what we were taught to do was get them obligated. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool, man. 
No, yeah, that's and that's actually that's another um, reason why um, deconstruction can be so scary is because you're not just leaving. Oftentimes, and this was my experience, you're not just leaving behind your belief system; you're leaving behind your entire social circle. That's eventually what ends up happening in those situations. And yeah. my experience is, you all of your friends go to that church. All of your free time is spent at small groups or church events or worship practice and like that becomes your tiny little world and if you've ever studied cults this is exactly what happens in cults um it makes it really hard to leave that group and because you uh, your entire social structure um and often there's one other thing that happens there too is that your previous social structure is now feels completely disconnected from you and has a very bad taste in their mouth because you left all your other friends and family behind sometimes to join this new church family uh and so when you come out of it or you want to leave that church um it's really hard because you, you you don't have anyone to talk to you don't have anyone to turn to um yeah, we, we used to have this, this sounds, it uh, makes me sick to my stomach to think about. We used to, we were trained to have the, a, a spreadsheet that we would put people's names on it and we would strategically target friendships with those people. And this spreadsheet was meant to, I don't know if you've ever worked in sales, but it's like a CRM, uh, um, a client relationship management tool where you are like grading people and you're and you're checking their progress oh they've shown up two or three times oh they haven't shown up in a couple of weeks and so like you're you have this spreadsheet where you're tracking the progress of people and seeing where they're at as far as being involved in the church and not involved in the church um that was something we were 100 percent uh trained to do uh, you know time and time again yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's like Monsanto based uh, Christianity, you know. <laughs> yeah, th- th- no, there's totally. no- yeah, there's nothing organic about it. I I, I, I totally know what you're talking about. Um, we didn't have the spreadsheet, but um, we definitely had a you know. Okay, we we got to get them out to lunch. We got to get them to this. We got you know. You're just it's completely the opposite of uh, of anything remotely close to being organic and it's it's not healthy at all you're not serving that person in any way dude what it is is and 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 I know you know this already but and probably one of the things that it, and I realize that there has to be structure and in there but church is absolutely 98% of the time it's a business and that is one of the things that killed me as a pastor is I found myself not doing the things I was truly passionate about. And everything was about paperwork and how many did we have, uh, how many this, how many that, how much money did we bring in, how much money was going out, who's doing this about that. And it just became this daunting task, really, of running a business. Yep. And... uh so people became commodities, and I think that sometimes when people left, even if it was for their own good, it still pissed you off because you were losing commodity. You were losing, you know, yes, product you were, for lack of a better word. Well, you were losing a percentage of your monthly income, hypothetically too, mm-hmm. um, as a church, and that yeah, people get reduced to commodities, they get re- reduced to numbers. Um, one story I remember is that the last church that me and my wife were at before we um, 
you know, started our deconstruction process and, and didn't go to church for a couple of years. Um, the last church we were pastoring at, we had a, a great community event that we would do every year where we would, um, it was a back to school event and we would pass out backpacks with, um, you know, school supplies in them. And we, we had that event, whatever, in the beginning of August. Well, uh, in the middle of September, we had a staff meeting and the discussion was, have we gained any new, attack, you know, members or attenders that that we like met through this backpack backpack event? Uh, and the answer we have all looked around. We're like, no, we haven't seen anybody new come uh, from the neighborhood. And that was it. That was the end of the event. It was like, okay, yeah, I think we had done it for three years and we hadn't gotten one new church attender, and so we scrapped the event. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, it wasn't it, producing theoretically. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we were spending money on it to buy all those supplies, and then, uh, yeah, we weren't seeing a return on that investment, so we scrapped the event. Uh, that was one of the early uh, red flags for me before we left that church. But, yeah, that's exactly... And, and I, I always want to be careful when I talk about this, too. I mean, that example, I think, is just terrible and, and blatantly wrong. But there are more um, nuanced examples that are, are a little bit more difficult. And really, uh, I'm sure you understand this, too, that, like, it's not just the pastor and the pastor's family that um, has their paycheck at risk. Sometimes it's team, a whole team, a, a whole staff of people and their children and their health insurance plans and their, uh, the school paying for the school that they go to. And like, there's this larger system that's at risk, which makes those decisions that sometimes seem very clearly, okay, that's the wrong decision. You mm-hmm. should cancel, you should cancel the back to school event, but it's, you know, th- there is, like you said, that that's what really, uh, was like sucked the life out of, out of it for me was that like, we have to make these, what I was, would say wrong decisions in order to keep the church machine up and running. Uh, there's so many decisions made just to keep. We, we got to keep the machine going. We got. We got to feed the machine. Um, well, yes. I'll tell you though. I, you know, and and that's one of the things that um, I hear people say a lot. You know, well, the church just wants money. They just want money. And and I'm sure that that is true on some level. But also as a pastor, you got to know. Um, and I used to tell people this all the time. Uh, look, uh, this this church structure, this complex here, this thing has bills that have to be paid. And dude, that was one of the things I found. And we had a lot of money in the bank, um, but I still found it stressful whenever it would start to dip down because you, you got to have it, you know. And and so I don't always think, you know, like you're saying. I mean, there sadly there are some decisions that have to be made because of the financial integrity of that organization. Yeah. But that's part of, you know, we were, um, I was bivocational and there was a, there was a point in time when, uh, I was in the assemblies of God and they were like, okay, you need to make the leap, man. It's time. Cause we had to, basically it was almost a church plant, but, and, and so they were like, okay, you need to make this leap. You can go full time with this now. And um, thankfully, man, we were smart enough to say, yeah, you know, I don't know if I want to throw all my stuff in one basket. I, I, I want to leave some options here. Yeah. Which was good because a lot of guys, man, when they go through kind of what you and I are going through, 
um, yeah, they're they're talking about losing their livelihood, and th- that makes it hard to make solid, you know, spiritual decisions when you when you got that kind of threat. I think. Oh, one hundred percent. I think that's exactly so. That's part of um, you know. Sometimes when I talk about my book, I say it's part memoir, part manifesto, and then also just part um, complaining about things I didn't like about the church. But uh, part of it is this: my you know outline outlining my experience of trying to figure out a more sustainable model for for a church. Um, I think that the model that we're talking about. Um, it breeds unhealthy behavior mm-hmm. when you are when you have to worry about salaries and you have to worry about buying light bulbs. Uh, I was at a church that spent uh, seventy thousand dollars in a year uh, on janitorial supplies. Wow, um, that's that's more than our that's way that's almost like uh, three times the size of our budget right now for the entire year. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that so that's one part of what the, what the book's about is uh, me and there's a friend of mine named Jason. We were co-pastoring for uh, about three years uh, up until uh, a couple months ago he moved out of town. But um, we, yeah, we it's our it's about our journey of trying to find a more sustainable way of doing church. Which part of that is yeah, well, I don't get um, I have a small salary which I. I had to present a budget to our council, and I presented one without me getting a salary, and they wouldn't pass that budget. Uh, so I do get a small amount of money, which I actually just give back to the church. So it's a real futile uh, uh, situation. But anyway, um, that is, uh, yeah, that, that's a, a lot of what the book is about. Like, how can we find um, a different way to do church where we're not making, we don't feel like we have to manipulate people into attending. We don't feel like we have to manipulate people into giving. Uh, we can, you know, like th- this is one of the most beautiful things happened a couple weekends ago. I was, um, so yeah, I have a, a full-time job outside of pastoring and I had a crazy week. It was busy. I was busy. I was exhausted. And so that Sunday, I, or Saturday night, I emailed everybody, and we canceled church on Sunday morning. That is awesome. And everybody, I thought people were going to be mad, and nobody was mad. They, a few people were like, oh, great, I could use a morning off, too. That is awesome. <laughs> you know, so, like, we don't have to worry. I remember sitting in staff meetings looking at the radar trying to figure out if we should cancel service because of a snowstorm or not. And we're like, well, you know what, we can't afford to cancel you know, we're going to have to send people out into this terrible weather. And sure enough, you know, people would get in car accidents on the way there. And it's just like, well, that's the risk of it. You know, like we, we got to keep the lights on. We got to keep this machine going. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things I hated. <laughs> I mean, there was lots of things I, I didn't like about the pastoring thing, but um, one of the things I hated was looking at that and thinking, okay, so do, do I cancel tomorrow or do I not? And the, the horrible thing about it is if you got a bunch of snow uh, and you canceled. Not only was I out all that tithe, you know, but then I had to yeah. pay the guy to to uh, plow the parking lot, you know. So I was actually <laughs> losing money. Yeah. yeah, but dude, I you know one of the things, and I've talked about this on several podcasts uh, that I've been guest on. Um, I can't tell you how many times, man, I would be driving, you know, on the way to church. Not every Sunday, but but many. I would be driving on the way to church. I'm passing all these little restaurants, you know, and uh, thinking, man, I'd, I I would really rather be going there to have breakfast yeah. with my my wife and and just talk about life or whatever 
than going to this church. You know, there were some Sundays that I really just didn't want to go. I had to go. I had to put on the face. You know, the whole thing. You know, the misery of that. And, yep. uh, man, that that's just... That's really cool, dude. That That is awesome that you guys have that kind of community. Yeah, I mean, we uh, on top of that, we also have built in... Uh, so we do what we call a Sabbath season in the month of December, uh, where there's no volunteering that happens. So it's a full month off for our volunteers. And then the last two Sundays of the year, we don't meet at all. And then uh, we also, what we call... Uh, we call them Sabbath Sundays. So once a quarter, we also, as a church, we take the entire Sunday morning off. Um, with that exact same idea of like, if, you know, uh, we always used to, from the front, we would preach, you don't have to be here. It's okay if you, you're not here every week. Uh, and actually just, um, last Sunday or yeah, I think it was last Sunday, two Sundays ago, we had a guest speaker come and as a friend of mine, uh, who hasn't gone to church for three years. And I had her share her story about how life-giving it has been for her to not go to church for three years. Uh, mm-hmm. That has been, for, for her spiritual life, that is something that's been really life-giving. The irony of it all, too, is that her uh, her wife is a pastor, <laughs> and so she she still doesn't go to church. Um, but yeah, so that... So yeah, we're up front and we're and we're promoting, hey, you don't need to be here every Sunday, uh, which I firmly believe. However... I was there every Sunday. I was still model. I was modeling behavior that went against what I was preaching. Um, I was there, you know, rain or shine. So that's why we decided to start doing these once a month or once a quarter, excuse me, and taking an entire Sunday off and saying, "Hey, like, even as the leader, I need to take time off too." Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's super healthy, man. Well, actually, I. You know, I, I, it's funny because, uh, you know, to be just completely transparent, when we originally um, first kind of had a connection and um, I, I thought, okay, you know, just, it's another deconstruction book and, you know, it's another guy just talking about, uh, you know, how difficult church has been for him and, and all this. But, dude, your book is really good, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you, um, I, you write when you first write a book and you publish it. A lot of the people that read it are people that you know, and they're not people that are, uh, strangers, not that we're necessarily strangers now, but, um, it's always good to get feedback from people that don't know you personally. And yeah. just say, you know, not just saying, "Hey, oh, I liked it." It's like, okay, did you really, or do you just feel like you have to say that? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I didn't like it, I, I, I probably, uh, I, I wouldn't be like, "Dude, your book sucks." <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I would probably, you know, not, not say much about it. But to be honest with you, I thought, okay, you know, because there's, there are those guys out there, man, that they're just. Uh, they're sort of uh, a carbon copy of everything else that's out there. But, man, when I read it, I was like, God, this, this book is actually really cool. It's a, it's a good book, dude. I really appreciate you writing it, man. Yeah, thank you. And I definitely wrote it intentionally to not be, honestly, not to be another carbon copy, but I wrote it to um, be a bridge. I didn't want it just to be like, hey, it's an echo chamber if you're uh, deconstructing. I'm going to say everything that you expect me to say. It was really, I do think, and this is exactly what the book's about, but um, I still found something um, life-giving 
even post deconstruction, I still feel like a regular gathering can be really life giving and really meaningful. Uh, and so I wanted to figure out a way to make that happen and make that possible. I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, so yeah, that's, um, that was part of the goal was to, to have people who have given up on church entirely, uh, read the book and say, Oh, maybe I shouldn't have given up on church. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum to, to, to bridge people who are very, um, you know, I don't say anything. I say a couple of heretical things, but for the most part, it's a pretty, um, you know, I don't really get into too many crazy issues in it. So I wrote, I did that on purpose so that people from more of a traditional background wouldn't just put it down immediately you know, when they read something offensive, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't swear in the book at all intentionally so that traditional church people could still read it. Um, but yeah, anyway, th- uh, no, it's, for- it's a nice, it's a nice transitional piece of literature. And I, I think that that's, um, sadly, that's something that's really missing. I know, um, you know, one of the struggles for me was, uh, you know, um, you, you're just not, when you when you're making the transition, you don't want to just jump in the water because you're not ready for that, you know. Yeah. And so this does that really nicely. Um, also, dude, one of these days we, we got to talk about the craft beer thing because uh, I'm totally into that. Yeah, yeah, man. We got uh, so we're we're right on the Mississippi River. We're actually, if people want a, a geographical um, snapshot of where we're at, we're the only place where the Mississippi River runs east to west. So oh, there's wow. a little, where, where Iowa and Illinois meet, there's a little um, kink in the river, and, and that's right where uh, I live. And there's something, I've been told, there's something about the Mississippi, uh, the water that we have there, which Mississippi traditionally is um, really gross and muddy, but the uh, <laughs> but there's something about the, like, once it's, you know, run through all the right filters, there's something about that water that's really great for beer, apparently. Uh, so we have, in a, probably in a 10-mile radius, we have over a dozen breweries, and they are all uh, fantastic. Um, yeah, we're kind of in this little microbrewery hotspot in the Midwest. Um, so, yeah. I, I drink a lot of a lot of craft beer. <laughs> uh, it's so good, man. I, I it's funny because um, years ago I, I I hated beer, and um, then you know just out of well we went to a craft brewery and uh, man it was so good you know and uh, so we we're kind of into that and ah uh, yeah dude we'll have to have a conversation about that one of these days yeah. so now people uh wanting to connect with you let's talk about that uh before you uh before you get out of here what's what's the best way to do that uh yeah i'll, I'll just run down all the different ways you can connect with me i'm on um facebook twitter and instagram facebook is just under my name i don't have like an author page or anything like that but feel free to befriend me uh brandon carlton on Facebook, on Twitter, my handle is at BC the Heretic, and then on Instagram, it's at Brandon Carlton CC. Uh, and also, I have a website for my book, which is meaningfulagain.com. Uh, it's a basic, it's basically just a link to the Amazon page. Uh, so, if you want to find the book, you can find it on Amazon too. Uh, just searching "meaningful again." Yeah, excellent book, and and super easy to read. Um, yeah, dude, I. You know, I, I always put people on the spot, 
um, because it's recorded. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I'd love for you to come back uh, soon if, if we could make that happen. Oh, I would love to come back. Yeah, I've, I've in, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I would be more than happy to come back. Yeah, there's so many things we could talk about, um, and I, I'd really, uh, I'd really like to do that with you. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that and um, and have you back really soon if we can make that happen. All right, sounds good. All right, so hang on the line, man. I'm going to close the podcast out, but uh, I want to chat with you for just a second. So, all right, everybody, I will um, talk more about Brandon's book and and how to get a hold of him after the music, so stick around, and uh, I'll get right back with you. All right, guys, thank you for hanging out with me. Man, what a cool conversation. Brandon is a cool dude. Definitely, uh, I'm going to have him back and uh, we're going to have a, a, some more conversation about some just some other things that he and I have in common and um, that I would I think will be uh, a real blessing for you guys to hear. Now, again, uh, as Brandon said, you can find him on Facebook, you can find him on Instagram, you can find him on Twitter. I have to tell you, the book that he wrote, and I, I'm kind of critical with some of that stuff, but the book, Meaningful Again, How One Pastor Questioned Everything and Found Comfort in Uncertainty, it actually really is a great book. And... Uh, you guys should, uh, and it's a simple read. It's it's not a huge book, so you can dive into it and, and get through it pretty quick and gain, um, or at least affirm some of the insight and questions and things that you've had. Hey guys, listen, I'm gonna jump out of here. I'll catch you online, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any one of those places. Um, jump out there, find me. Let's communicate. God bless you guys. Done. Done.